right now, aren't you? We're going to play a game of uh, Pictionary together. I need two volunteers. Just kidding. All right. Sorry. Disappointing, right? Awesome. How's everybody doing this morning? Great. Cool. Anybody else in here um, struggle with instructions? Is it just me? Okay. I am... uh, I am not great with instructions. Like when we're putting together the IKEA furniture, you know, I need more than just some some of those pictures, man. I need I need this written out, right? I need like a hotline where I can call and talk to somebody. After about five minutes of working on IKEA furniture, I am ready to like just find the closest Swede and punch him in the face. All right, <laughs> sorry, just kidding. All right. <laughs> Sometimes uh, the same is true. When, when I'm driving, all right, I need like that turn-by-turn direction because I'm what you might call a dreamer, okay? I'm out hanging out in the realm of possibility somewhere and not necessarily paying attention to where I'm going. Like when we start out on a family trip, Sarah gets really nervous when she hears me say early in the trip, if she hears me say the words, um, man, this is a beautiful day for driving, because she's like, great, our chances of missing a crucial turn just increased by 75% in that moment, all right? She literally says that to me. She's like, now, don't be looking at clouds and trees, okay? We need to watch the road. So that, that's kind of me. Sometimes I need some more, like, clear-cut direction. I need that lady from, from the Google Maps to the Google, all right? The Google. I need that lady from the Google to speak to me and say, turn here, okay? Um, that, that's, that's just me. Uh, sometimes we need more explicit directions, right? Sometimes we don't need to just kind of be left out there to, to figure it out on our own and to, and to feel it out on our own. Sometimes we need some clear direction. That's what we're going to do in this series together that we're starting today. For three weeks... We're going to explore this topic of how to, and we're going to talk about some of the very practical parts of what it means to be a Christian, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we're going to talk today, we're going to start with talking about how to hear God's voice, how to hear God's voice. Next week, we're going to talk about how to find God in loss. And then the third week, we're going to talk about how to discover God's will for our lives. Like, what am I supposed to do with my life? What does God want me to do with my life? Where do I go from here? And so these are all questions that we hear a lot, that we know people struggle with a lot. So we want to approach these and um, give some more instruction, some more how-to on how to handle these things. God, help us this morning as we talk about how to hear your voice. And as we open your word and as we know that your presence, your spirit is moving in this place, your spirit is already speaking to us, help us to be open to what you have to say to us. Teach us today. See your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, immediately when we talk about hearing God's voice, uh, you might be getting a little nervous uh, of saying, like, what exactly is he going to ask us to do here? Okay, is he going to try to lead us on like a vision quest out into the desert, like to find a burning bush or something? Or are we going to climb a mountain and hope that God is waiting for us on that on that peak or or like fast? Okay, for days on end until finally we hear God speak to us and say, 
behold, go forth to Subway and get something to eat finally, okay? Like, what do you do? How do you try to hear God's voice? This can be a very difficult thing for us as Christians and as followers of Jesus. And I believe that God can speak to us in so many ways. I am not going to put a limit on God's potential for speaking to you, all right? But I am going to tell you this. Too often, we wait and we hope for the dramatic in our lives, right? We want for God to move in some incredibly powerful way that it's like just to to boom out of heaven and to speak to us, right? And I'm here to tell you that far more often, God speaks to us in mundane ways instead of in mystical ways. He can do that, absolutely. Absolutely, he can. And God and his grace and his mercy is a mystery in so many ways. And it can be a mystical experience. Without a doubt, he can do that. But I'm telling you that every single day, God is speaking to us in ways that seem so mundane that it's easy for us to overlook it. And it's easy for us to miss it. And it's easy for us to walk around saying, I can't hear God's voice when all of the time he is speaking to us. I believe the most practical and key and and frequent way that God speaks to us is absolutely through Scripture, through His Word. You and I live in an incredible time where we have God's Word with us at all times. At all times, if you don't have a copy of this book right here, we have some in the lobby that you can take home with you. It's yours. Take it with you. Everywhere you go, you can have it. Many of you have it on your phone, like in in, in many ways, right? In all kinds of uh, versions that you can possibly think of, right? Every version ever of Scripture. So it's like if somebody asks you to, like, put your hand on a stack of Bibles, it's like, okay, I got my phone. There it is, okay? it's, It's here. It's, it's all around us. It's right at our fingertips. God's word is right here and is so accessible for us. And God is constantly speaking to his people through this word. This word has the power to absolutely transform your life. To transform your life. My dad is here today and... Um, when I was growing up, I had the honor and privilege of having my dad as my pastor. All right? I learned so much through that experience, not just through what he preached on a Sunday morning or being around him in special times, but every single day and, and, and him being a shepherd in my life every single day. One of the, the distinct memories of growing up with dad as a pastor um, was when one year as a church, he challenged the entire church. Anybody see that? <laughs> All right. He challenged the entire church to read scripture together every single day of the year. To take a full year and every day to commit that you would read scripture every single day. I can still see that like that paper in my mind where he had us like sign the commitment card, right? It's this yellow piece of paper. I remember one of the that it was in the month of August. I can see that date on it, right? Of August. And I'm like 13 or 14 years old, and I'm about to sign this commitment, and I'm thinking, this is this is intense, right? This is heavy. And I, I signed it, and I, I was so committed to that. And and to my surprise, as difficult as that seemed, to my surprise. 
I made it like three days in. All right? And then failed, okay? And it was a miserable failure for the rest of the year, all right? And, and, it, and it didn't happen. The next year around, he did it again. And I remember this time thinking, God, help me with this. I want to get into your word. I want to have your word transform my life. And so I tried again after failing miserably before. And over that next year, I remember there was one day in that year that I missed. The other days, now there were many days in there where I'm like, okay, let's go to uh, John chapter 11. Jesus wept. All right, I've done it. Okay, right? And there were many days when I read the same one over again. I went to my favorite one or something like that. But, but throughout the course of that year, there was one day that I missed. And I can look back on that year. And I can look back on that experience of intentionally getting into God's work. And I can see the way it transformed my life. Absolutely shaped me, transformed my life. And I am still reaping the harvest of that year in my life to this day. God's word has the power to transform you. This is why we're so intent about this Bible reading plan that we're doing together. It's something you can do um, on, on the Bible app or, or we have paper version out, out there as well that you can take with you. We're serious about this, reading the, Bible, reading the New Testament in 90 days together as a church because we know from personal experience the way that Scripture can transform your life. We believe that this book is living, that it is the word of God and it has the power to shape us. Now, some of you are are sitting there and you think, listen, I diligently read the word. I read it every single day and I still don't hear God's voice in my life. And there are still times in my life when I experience spiritual dryness to the extent that I think that it's becoming spiritual deadness for me. Like, I cannot hear God's voice. I cannot feel God's presence. I cannot experience God in my life, and I'm diligently in his word. To me, what I have to say to that is, me too. Me too. Absolutely. I have those experiences as well. Desert times in my life, when I feel like the presence of God isn't isn't full in my life, or where I feel like I can't feel him like I had before. And there are times when it seems like God is silent in my life. Here's what I want to tell you today. What I want to encourage you with on that today. That just because you are going through one of those seasons in your life, don't assume that that's going to be the way it is for the rest of your life. It may be a long and extended season. But right now, you cannot see what God is working beneath the surface. Right now, you cannot see what God is doing in the soil of your souls through this period of silence. Who knows what he's working in your life? You might not see the fruit right now. It might be years down the road before you start to see the fruit. But here's my encouragement to you. Do not, do not, do not burn down the orchard in winter. This might just be a season. Wait for it. Who knows what kind of life he is cultivating beneath the surface, in the soil of your souls. Continue to get into Scripture. 
continue to let it shape you. And there's no way for you to know right now the impact and the harvest that that's going to have in your life. Get into the word. Get into the word. And it will begin as you let, as you put your roots down in it, it will begin to take root in you. And you will see transformation in your life. It may be seasons down the road. It may be years down the road. But God is faithful. God is faithful. And even when it seems like he is on mute right now, that's real. That's real. We're all going to experience those times. Do not give up. Don't burn down the orchard in winter. He will bring a harvest. You will see fruit. Cool. So as we look through uh, today and we talk about how to approach Scripture, how to hear God's voice through Scripture, there are several things that I want for us to understand and tackle together as we try to understand what Scripture is and how we should be engaged with it. Okay? Number one is this. Scripture is inspired. Scripture is inspired. And what we mean by that is this, that the Holy Spirit of God himself inspired the writing of this word. The Holy Spirit of God himself inspired the writing of this word. That is where the authority of Scripture comes from. It's that the Holy Spirit inspired the people who wrote this book. Now, we don't believe that at one point in time, like the the Bible, like came down from heaven. All right. Nicely leather bound with gilded edges. Okay, that's not the way it happened. No. The way it happened is that the spirit inspired specific people in specific places at specific times in history to give his special revelation to the world. And as the Spirit inspired these writers, as they recorded what the Spirit was inspiring through them, we, this is what we have now through generations. We believe that the same Holy Spirit that inspired the writing of the Word has also protected the Word throughout history as it's been passed down from generation to generation. We believe that He has, has kept it, that He has protected it as it's been passed from hand to hand to hand to hand. Okay? We believe that fully. And we also believe that the same Holy Spirit who inspired the writing of the word then continues to inspire the reading of the word now. That as you read scripture, the Holy Spirit is translating for you in your soul and in your heart and pressing different parts on your heart at different times, helping you understand what is here. And the Spirit continues to be active in our engagement with this book. We believe that. We absolutely believe that. Now, as we try to discern um, certain decision-making processes that we're in, I want to draw a a really quick diagram, okay? This diagram actually is... um, derived from one of my spiritual heroes, okay? From time to time, you'll hear me talk about a man named John Wesley, all right? John Wesley lived in the 1700s in England, and God grabbed the hold of his life in an incredible way. He had been a missionary, actually, to America, uh, to Savannah, Georgia, failed miserably at that, 
failed miserably on his way back home, the ship that he was traveling on to come back as a failure to England uh, went through this incredible storm where he thought he was going to lose his life. And there were a group of Christians there, Moravian Christians on the boat, who in the midst of this storm, they had incredible peace in their lives. And he could see it and he knew he didn't have it. He knew there was something missing in him and he wanted that. He wanted that. And later, he's at a street called Ottersgate at this uh, reading of Scripture and at this, uh, at this Bible study, basically. And someone was reading out loud Martin Luther's preface to the book of Romans. And as he heard what Martin Luther had to say about the book of Romans and about salvation coming by grace through faith in Christ alone, he realized he had not experienced that in his life. And he embraced that. He wanted that. And the grace of God changed his life in that moment. He says, my heart was strangely warmed in that moment. And I knew something was different. Something was different. Out of that moment, God sparked an incredible movement throughout England, a disciple-making movement, people coming to Christ, people going deeper in their relationship with Christ in an incredible way. It sparked what is today the Methodist church around the world around the world, and the Wesleyan Church, which is what we are a part of here as, as this congregation. It's, it sparked this incredible movement around the world. And historians actually say that the, the, the Wesleyan movement in England spared England. It not only changed Christians in that place, not only created new Christians, but it absolutely transformed the society around them and had such an intense social impact that historians say England was on the verge of a revolution like France experienced, but that the Wesleyan movement changed that. It sent such an impact throughout the whole place that it changed it. It changed the entire culture around them. So what I'm getting ready to share with you right now is what some people refer to as John Wesley's quadrilateral, okay? What is a quadrilateral? Does anyone know? A square, okay. It's a shape, it's any shape with four sides, right? Which would be a square. I'm not going to draw a square today because a square has four equal sides, right? What I'm going to draw instead is a trapezoid, okay? All right, here we go. Getting real nerdy. All right. Now, as you can see, this shape does not have four equal sides, okay? The, the bottom of this shape is clearly the support of this shape, okay? It is, it, it's larger and it carries more weight, okay? Uh, the other side's lean and, and then you've got the thing across the top, okay? Here's what, here's what is derived from John Wesley as what's called his quadrilateral. When it comes to understanding and discerning the word of God in our lives. First of all, across the bottom, the ultimate authority is Scripture. Scripture. This is God's Word. Do you want to hear God's voice? Get into God's Word. And you will hear His voice. You will read it on the pages. It will speak to you in your heart. It will shape who you are. Scripture is the foundation. Scripture is the foundation. And it is the authority. There are other things that we can lean on in our lives to help us understand what Scripture has to say and what God might be speaking to us through Scripture, okay? One is experience, okay? 
experience. But understand, your experience is not the foundation. Your experience is not the foundation. It is not the ultimate authority of what is real. What you feel is not necessarily what is real, okay? You understand that? I just rhymed that. I didn't mean to rhyme, but okay. Add that to my rap album. Okay, experience. Another really important piece is tradition. Tradition. Now, if you come from a particular theological tradition, that is fantastic. All right, that helps you shape your understanding of the word. It helps you teach what the word is trying to say. It helps you understand that, okay? That's really important. Dig into that and understand that tradition. But your tradition is not the authority. You get that? Your tradition is not the authority. And how your tradition understands scripture does not trump what scripture has to say. So if there is a place where your tradition is out of line with scripture, then your tradition better change. Okay? We understand that? Tradition is important and it gives us kind of a guideline, but it leans on scripture. It leans on scripture. Scripture is the authority. And then the final piece here, something that we need to stress is the R for reason. Reason. Now, many people think that faith and reason cannot coexist with each other, right? That they are absolutely the opposite of each other and by nature are, are apart from each other. This is not true. This is not true. The God who created your intellect is the God that we meet in Scripture. And God wants your intellect to be set on fire and to come alive as you dig into his word, as you dig into the truth. All truth is God's truth, okay? And reason is important for us when we try to understand what scripture has to say to us and is important in life. Reason and faith are not opposite of each other. They are made by the same God, and they are to work in tandem with each other, okay? We get that? Okay, now here's something that we need to understand. Reason is across the top here, and it kind of serves as as this cap, right? But understand what we mean by this when we say that. It doesn't mean that God will never ask you to do something that is unreasonable. Scripture is full of these experiences where he asks people to do things that seem absolutely unreasonable. And there are times when God will lead you in your life and people around you will say that goes completely against reason, okay? That doesn't mean, though, that in that moment reason trumps Scripture. Scripture always trumps reason. But here's what we need to understand. Here's what we need to understand. What does Scripture say is reasonable? What does Scripture say is reasonable? If God asks you to move across the country or to go to some other country to take the gospel to that place, your family will likely say that is not reasonable. You should not do that. But as we look through the Scripture, absolutely it is reasonable according to what God has to say. Now, there are other things that you might step up and say, God is telling me to do this. But when you look at Scripture, you can see that according to Scripture, that is unreasonable. 
because he's never asked anyone to do that before because it goes against the grain of his character and his attributes and his heart, which is revealed to us in Scripture. Scripture is always the checkpoint. It is the authority. Okay? We understand that? The others lean on Scripture, but Scripture is always the authority, and it comes back to that. The others help us understand what Scripture is trying to say, but they never trump Scripture has to say. We lean on Scripture. We are founded on Scripture. Scripture is the authority. So Scripture is inspired. Real quickly through the rest of them, here's another piece. Scripture is instruction, okay? It teaches us what it means to be a Christian. It teaches us how to pray. It teaches us how to worship. It teaches us how to live generously. It teaches us how to love God and to love others. It teaches us how we should act in our work, in our daily lives at work. It teaches us how we should interact in relationships with each other. It teaches us about sex. It teaches us about money. It teaches us about all of these things. Scripture is instruction. And this book right here is an endless wealth of wisdom and a treasury of knowledge if we will dive into this and let it shape our lives. It will shape you. It will challenge you. It will give you direction and correction. It will help direct your life. And you will be able to hear what God is speaking when you get into this word. It is the word of God. And it directs us. Next, Scripture is cohesive. Scripture is cohesive. Often we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament as two totally separate things, right? And we say, well, they're not the same. And a lot of times people will point to the differences that they see in the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New Testament. And they'll hold that up as an example of why Scripture can't be trusted. Okay? They see that as a major contradiction, and therefore, if it's a contradiction, then it can't be trusted. Okay? Scripture is not a contradiction. Scripture is not a contradiction. Scripture is cohesive. Now, before I dive into that, let me say this. Don't ever be afraid of someone questioning Scripture. Okay? If you're sitting in a class and a professor starts to go off on that, don't clam up. Don't let your walls go up and say, I'm not listening to this, la, 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 right? I don't want to hear it because you don't want it to mess up what you think and what you believe. Welcome that. Welcome that. Because every time a question is raised, understand that that is an invitation to go into a deeper place of understanding and knowledge. If you just block it off and hope that no one ever messes up your little picture of the way the world is supposed to be, then one day all of that will come crumbling to the ground. It will. Scripture is strong enough to withstand the test. Let the test come. Let the questions come. It's okay. It's okay. Even the ones that you can't seem to bring together, even the ones that create so much tension in your life, that tension grows into doubt. It's okay. Let the questions come. As you dig deeper, as you follow that invitation, you will discover that God is, is drawing you into a deeper understanding of the truth. And as that happens, you will grow an even more deep 
appreciation for this book because you will find that it can withstand the test. It can withstand the test. If you have specific questions about that, please come to me. I want to talk to you about that. One of the things I love about living in this town is you are such bright people. You are incredibly bright people, and I love that. I love that. Let's sit down together. Let's reason together, as Scripture says. Let's think through it together. Let's look at the evidence together. Let's look at the arguments together. Let's look at the valid points. Let's talk about it, and let's talk through it, okay? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because if you let fear dictate that, then I'm telling you, your faith will give way. Your faith will give way. At some point, you won't be able to stand up anymore. Let the questions come. God can handle it. God can handle it. Let's work through it together. Okay? Scripture's cohesive. Old Testament God, New Testament God, the same God. The same God. And as we take a step back and we look at the connected patterns in both, it becomes so, so clear. At the story, our Tuesday night Bible study, this was brought up. And one of the people at the story brought this up. In Genesis chapter 3, very beginning of the Bible, as soon as, sun, as soon as sin comes into the picture, absolutely we see God's judgment against sin. The Bible is clear about that. God will judge sin. Wrath is real. Wrath is real. And the Bible is clear about that, okay? But even in the beginning there, when sin comes into the picture for the very first time, Adam and Eve, it says, are trying to hide from God. And so they make these fig leaves, right, to try to cover themselves, okay? And what's been exposed to their eyes at this point. God comes and speaks to them. And it says what God does is this, that God, there is bloodshed of an animal there in Genesis chapter 3. And God takes the skin of that animal and uses it to cover Adam and Eve, makes clothes to cover Adam and Eve. From the beginning, we see bloodshed and God covering sin, right? The seeds of it, the tiny little hints of it right there from the beginning of what is coming down the road in the New Testament. Throughout the rest of the Old Testament, when we see God's judgment, we we do see it. It's very real, okay? It's very real. But every time we see it, we understand wrath is real, but God is always offering a rescue. And God is always offering redemption. Even in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, this is is the case. Even in the story of Noah with the flood, this is the case. Wrath is real, but redemption is offered. Redemption is offered and rescue is possible. In the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament, we see God's grace Frequently, We see it when he calls Abraham a no one, 100 years old when Isaac, Abraham's son, is born, when he keeps the promise. An absolute impossibility, God's grace to a nobody. Moses, an outcast, someone, a fugitive running from the law. God redeems him and uses him to become the great deliverer of Israel's history. David, nobody, nobody. And God chooses him and, and uses him. For his glory. We see this all the time. God's grace, the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we see God's wrath and grace once again. We think about New Testament is not the judgment part of the book. That's the grace part. But in the New Testament, we see the most drastic and heart-wrenching moment of God's judgment 
in the history of humanity. Because on the cross, Jesus Christ, who was purely innocent, takes the wrath upon himself, takes judgment upon himself. And in the cross, God, in this unbelievable and unthinkable way, turns the judgment on himself. And we are offered grace in that moment. Are they two different gods? No, same God. Because scripture is cohesive. One book, 66, right? 66 books, various authors across different settings, across different time periods. One message, one God, one book, one book. Millions and countless like nuances and intricacies to get into and themes to dive into. One book, one message, cohesive, together, together, okay? Scripture is also commentary, okay? Scripture is also commentary. We're going to wrap up with this one. Here's what I mean by that, all right? The greatest commentary on Scripture, the greatest source to go to to understand what does this passage mean right here, the greatest commentary on Scripture is Scripture itself. Scripture teaches us what the other pieces mean. And if we understand how to connect those together, then we see this is true. Look at Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 through 46. The crucifixion of Jesus. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, when we see this out of the mouth of Jesus, we're immediately asking, what does this mean? Has God forsaken Jesus? Has God completely turned his back on Jesus and abandoned Jesus in this moment? What does this mean? What does this mean? Scripture is a commentary on itself. What is happening in this moment? Um, Finish this song lyric for me. Amazing Grace. What's next? What's next? All right. You see that? You see that? Opening words, opening line, and the rest just comes flowing out for you, right? Not just people who are raised in church. This is a cultural uh, idea that we have. This is ingrained in us. Songs have that kind of power. Lyrics have that kind of power. The book of Psalms is a collection of songs for the Jewish people. They used them in worship. They were so familiar with them. They didn't have daily access to the scripture like we do. So the scripture became ingrained, became something that was inside of them. They memorized it, right? They were so hungry for it. It was inside of them. And with the Psalms, you could say the opening line of a psalm and the rest starts flowing out. Because these are their songs. They love these. They know these. They're raised singing these. Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we flip over. Psalm 22 begins this way. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So immediately when Jesus says this, the wheels begin to turn. The memory kicks into motion. And the rest of the lyrics start flowing out in the minds of these people. 
and they begin to dig back in. What, what does this mean? They begin to dig back in. Here's what it says. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, and I am not silent. Yet you, enth- you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel, and you, our fathers, put their trust. They trusted you, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted, and they were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Is this not word for word what is happening on the cross? Generations and centuries later after Psalms was written, after Psalm 22 was written, Generations and centuries later, and now here's Jesus on the cross. These words come out of his mouth, and suddenly the wheels start to turn, and the people see Psalm 22 rolling out right in front of their eyes. Generations and centuries later, he goes on, Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircled me, roaring lions tearing their prey. They open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. And you lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Exactly what is happening right before their eyes on the cross. But you, O Lord, here's the turn. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. Jesus speaking to the people of Israel, to his own people who he came to save. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one, speaking of himself. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you will I fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever, all the ends of the earth, and remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord and rules over the nations. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. Matthew 27, 
after another loud cry, Jesus died. Scripture is talking to itself. It tells us what it means. Find it in one passage, have a question, there's another, there's insight in another place. And here in this powerful moment, we see this come alive. We see it come alive. This is the most powerful commentary on this moment of Jesus on the cross that there is. Scripture is cohesive. Scripture is commentary. Scripture is connected. This book is alive. And this book will bring life in you when you surrender yourself to being taught by the Spirit of God through this word. When you approach the word, it's not for mastery. It's not to become a master of the word. It's to become a student of the word. It's to submit yourself to the grace of God that is is at work in his word as his spirit shapes you, roots you, and as it takes root in you. That's what scripture is. Scripture is our story. It is the story of God. It's the story of God's activity in the world. It's our story, too, because the author who inspired this in such brilliant ways is now calling us to participate in it as well. The ultimate challenge of Scripture is to live it, to live it. And you and I get to be a part of this incredible story. How do you hear God's voice? Get into his word. Get into his word. It will transform you. God, thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for the incredible gift of your word, for the way that it teaches us and shapes us and changes us and corrects us and challenges us. Help us to be open to it. Help us to be students of it. And I pray that as our minds are sharpened by it, our hearts are also humbled by it. And we live in response to it, in humble obedience to who you are. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.